You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Well, good afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Really glad you're here worshiping with us today. I started at City Church almost exactly 14 years ago as the first pastor here. It was July of 2008, and the very first sermon series that was preached at City Church by me was called Encounters with Jesus, various encounters that people had from the Gospels. And the very first sermon in that very first sermon series was from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, in which Jesus heals a man who is possessed by demons. And we're going to read that story today, not from Mark's Gospel, but from Luke's Gospel. It's the same encounter with Jesus. I preached that sermon originally on July 6, 2008, and some of you are like, I don't really care about the history lesson. I was 10, right? I was, I was in second grade. Why are you telling me that? Well, one reason is because God's word endures, and second is because uh, this passage and this idea of encountering Jesus is central to City Church. This is also one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Uh, Sarah leaned over next to me when she was looking through the worship guide and she said, oh, you're preaching on your favorite passage. And it's true. I love this passage because I think it is such a, a vivid picture of who we are as humans and such a vivid picture of who Jesus is for us. In fact, I went back to that sermon from 14 years ago that's the benefit of computers, right? I have all of them stored. I could have just repeated that. You wouldn't have known, right? And I found this line. I said, may this church be a place where people encounter Jesus for who he really is. That hasn't changed in 15 years. May this be a place where you can encounter Jesus for who he really is. And I think the passage that I'm going to read in just a minute gives you an opportunity to do that. Some of you uh, m maybe have never heard about who Jesus really is. You've heard some stuff, but here's a chance to see what God, through his word, says about who Jesus is. So let's, and this is God's word that he's given to us because he loves us. It says this, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. 
Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that in these next few moments, in light of this story from your word, that we would encounter Jesus. We encounter so much every week, so many voices, so many people, so many responsibilities. It's hard for us to have time and space and quiet to encounter Jesus, but that's what we want today. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts so that the real Jesus would meet the real us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So throughout this series that we're in right now on Luke chapters 7 through 9, we've been asking two questions. Who is Jesus? And what is our response to who Jesus is? And I'm going to use that same framework again today because I think it it helps us make sense of this passage. Who is Jesus? Well, this is a case where we actually get an answer directly from the passage. We get an answer to the question, who is Jesus, from the mouth of this demon-possessed man. We are told in verse 28, as Jesus comes into this country where this demon-possessed man lives, the demon-possessed man sees him coming and he cries out in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He's essentially saying, uh, Jesus, wouldn't, why don't you just leave me alone? We don't have any business. You don't have an appointment. I'm not on your calendar. But then he says, he, he, recognizing, he recognizes who Jesus really is. Son of the Most High God. Even though these are demons, they still recognize God for who he really is. Sometimes, even better, than followers, even better than religious people. Jesus, who is Jesus? He is son of the most high God. And as the story goes on, we see two characteristics that I've talked about before in this series that show Jesus to be son of the most high God. The first of those is his authority. 
That is what Luke is primarily trying to establish throughout Luke chapter 8. Jesus has an authority that is unrivaled, unmatched, one of a kind. In the story that I read last week, we saw that Jesus had authority over nature. He was out on the sea and the storm was raging. And with one word, Jesus calmed the sea. He has authority over nature. And today, what we see is that Jesus, again, with a single word, has authority over demons, over the spirits of this world. And next week, Harrison will share about how Jesus has authority over disease and even over death. Jesus' authority is unrivaled. And I want you to see the contrast between Jesus' authority and the lack of control that everyone else in the demon-possessed man's life had. Right? It says in verse 29 that many a time these demons had seized him and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. No one else had the power to control this man. Jesus did. Unmatched authority. Jesus wants to... Uh, uh, Luke wants to highlight that point about who Jesus is. Jesus continues to have that authority for you and for me. Jesus is the God-man who knows everything about this world and knows everything about you. Who is Jesus? He is the one who's in control. And there's not a single thing, there's not a single molecule in this world that is outside of his control. But it's not just that Jesus has authority. Jesus also has compassion. And again and again through this sermon series, we've emphasized the, the way that Jesus pairs authority and compassion. And I think in this passage in particular, we see that very clearly as Jesus interacts with this demon-possessed man. Look with me at verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Simple question, but a question that I think contains all of the gospel, all of the good news. That this God-man, Son of the Most High God, the, uh, Jesus with all authority, pauses in a moment, looks this demon-possessed man in the eye, and asks him this fundamental question, what is your name? Who are you? Think about the life that this man had lived We've gotten some of the details, right? He was isolated. He lived in a cemetery, lived by himself. He was naked. He lived a life of torment and loneliness. He was an outcast from society. When he walked by, people pointed and laughed. When was the last time you think that someone had had a conversation with him? When was the last time that someone had bothered to ask him, hey, tell me, what is your name? Jesus, ever full of compassion, ever gentle and lowly of heart. That's who Jesus was for the demon-possessed man, and that's who Jesus is for you. 
why is this my favorite passage? Because I see myself in this passage. Maybe not in the same type of torment that this demon-possessed man had, but we all have our own torment, don't we? We all have these vivid pictures, either presently or in our past, of how we felt what this man feels. The loneliness, the rejection, the possession, the being out of control. And Jesus comes to us and he says, tell me about it. Tell me all about it. I will listen. I've used this passage before as kind of an an outline of what the basics of friendship look like. Why do I do that? Well, because I think friendship always begins with this simple question. What's your name? Tell me about you. I'm interested in you. And then as we begin to hear the junk, as we begin to hear the bad stuff, we don't run away. And Jesus doesn't do that either. He sticks by this man. You know, this man represents for us kind of the, the scariest, the neediest person that we can think of. Who is that person? Who comes to mind? You know, I think if we're honest as we ask that question, the scariest, neediest person that most of us know is ourselves. And Jesus isn't afraid of that. He's not afraid of you. Everyone else would step into this land and see the demon-possessed man running down from the cemetery, running down from the tombs with shackles literally hanging off his wrists that he has ripped apart, yelling and screaming, and, and they would run the opposite direction, and Jesus moves towards him. And he does the same for you too. Authority and compassion And then the last thing we learn about who Jesus is in this passage is that he offers rescue. Jesus uses his compassionate authority to reclaim people, to pull them back from possession, to pull them back from the dead, to rescue them from their sin, to lift them out of darkness and bring them into light. And Jesus still does that work. You know, this name that the man gives when, he, when Jesus asks, he says, I am legion. What that means, literally, that's a reference to uh, a, a group of soldiers, a legion. A thousand soldiers was a legion in that time period. He says, I have so many demons. I, I have so many voices in my head that I, I, I am legion. And and so as Jesus comes face to face with him, it doesn't seem like a fair fight. It's one against a thousand. And it's not a fair fight. It's never a fair fight if Jesus is there. Because with one word from his lips, the thousand demons are gone. And the man is rescued. The man is reclaimed. And as you think about your life and your heart and your mind today, you're thinking it's not a fair fight. If Jesus knew what he was up against, he wouldn't stand a chance. Friends, Jesus has the power to rescue even you. The scariest, neediest person you know, 
Jesus will rescue. And notice too how this rescue takes place, right? In the story of Legion, Jesus casts the demons out into a herd of pigs and they fall into the abyss. And when Jesus rescues you, he takes the sin that holds you in bondage, that has shackled your life, and he casts it onto himself, and he goes to the abyss of the cross to rescue you. It always happens through substitution. It always happens through sacrifice. Jesus' compassionate authority is arrayed to rescue you. So that's who Jesus is in this passage. The, the second part is what is our response then to Jesus? You know, and we've been using this phrase, I've been using this phrase, response to Jesus. But I wonder if it's better to think about the result of Jesus. Because uh, putting it as response maybe gives us too much credit. And we do have a role to play, but often it starts with the result of God's grace, a work that he is doing that we don't control. I think that is clear in this passage, that the result of Jesus's compassionate authority is transformation. It's transformation. People are healed. Lives are changed. As 2 Corinthians says, there is a new creation when people encounter Jesus. Look again at verse 35. This tells the story of Legion's transformation. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's a complete 180. The man is sitting now where previously had been roaming the hillsides. The man is with Jesus, we're told, whereas before the man had been isolated and outcast from the whole town and society. The man now is clothed. He's naked no longer. The man, we're told, is in his right mind because the demons have been cast out. And he's he feels secure. He is living the security of sitting at Jesus' feet. And here there's a contrast for those of you who were with us last week of Jesus' mother and brothers who stood outside and were far away from Jesus. Luke wants us to know that this demon-possessed man in Gentile territory is intimate with Jesus. He's at his feet and he's safe forevermore. This is what Jesus does. He takes us out of bondage and into freedom. He takes us from living among the dead and dead things to sitting with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life himself. He takes us from loneliness into relationship. It's transformation. It's rescue. Jesus' compassionate authority didn't just do that 2,000 years ago. It does it today. Do you know that transformation? Do you know the result of a real living encounter with Jesus? If you do, then your life knows this transformation of saying goodbye to sin, of addiction no longer holding you, of your heart being changed and softened to the things that it used to be embittered towards. 
Last week, I talked about uh, the, the struggle that I have with encouraging other people. As I have an encounter with Jesus, the result will be encouragement flowing out of my heart willingly and lavishly. Because when we see Jesus, when we're in the company of His compassionate care, we are changed people. Do you notice that last little uh, phrase of verse 35? It said, and then they were afraid. The people saw this and they were afraid. Why is that? Because transformation produces fear. It's uh, repeated a little bit later on in this passage too in verse 37 where the same thing is said of Jesus. They see Jesus, they see him as the cause of the transformation and they're afraid of him and they say, get lost Jesus. It's strange, isn't it? That the people would go out and see a demon-possessed man suddenly in his right mind a man who had been naked, now wearing clothes, having a civil conversation with Jesus, and that causes fear? When was the last time that you saw a man in his right mind, clothed and sitting down, and that caused you fear? You see, it's, it's not the scene itself that causes fear, it's the transformation that causes fear. Because only one with great authority would have the power to do that. Only Jesus and His ability to reclaim a life. Which leads me to wonder, is anyone afraid of us? Is there any transformation in our lives, in our community, that would cause people to be afraid? May it be so that people would look at City Church and tremble in fear at the extraordinary power of Jesus to rescue sinners. I think when people look at my life, they might say, oh, he has it together. High capacity. Has a lot of gifts. Serves people well. But would people look at my life and be afraid because of the radiating presence of the Son of the Most High God? You see, what it requires for people to see that sort of transformation and be afraid is us being honest about the vivid brokenness and hurt and need and longing in our lives. But we spend most of our energy, most of our time, hiding all of that. In curating the good stuff and posting it on Instagram. And in the process, we make it so that no one will ever see the power of Jesus in our lives. The transformative power of the gospel causes fear. And it also causes the second part of this passage, which is proclamation. You see, the man, the result of this man encountering Jesus is a transformation, and the second result is proclamation. 
You see, this man ends up with an unexpected vocation, and his vocation becomes evangelism. Look at verse 39. It says, Jesus, talking to this man, he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And notice that he really wanted something else, didn't he? In the verse ahead of that, the man comes to Jesus, and, and, and Luke tells us he begged to be with Jesus. He wanted to stick with him. He wanted to stay by his side. And who can, who can uh, uh, blame him? That's what we would all want. Th- think about what this man was going back to if he went back to his home. The, the stories that would be told. Uh, the, the reliving of, of his isolation and his torment. This vivid picture of brokenness. And he's thinking, I have to go back to that? Jesus, it's so much better at your side. I feel safe. You'll protect me, right? I can lean on you. And Jesus, in this surprising way, says, no, don't come with me. You have a different task. It's telling others what God has done for you. I think this is an important point for a lot of us to hear. Because quite frankly, what uh, the church has done, what uh, Christianity has said, is it has uh, defined discipleship almost exclusively as uh, sticking close to Jesus. And I, I, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying don't stick close to Jesus. Absolutely stick close to Jesus. That is not the sum total of faithfulness though. Because Jesus also says go. And sometimes we have defined the Christian life as getting in this comfortable community where all of our needs are met and we are nourished and we are helped and we neglect the second part of proclaiming how much God has done for us. And here's the thing. You don't have to always stick close to Jesus because he has given you his Holy Spirit which means he is always sticking close to you. So when you go, as this man returned to his home, Jesus would go with him by the power of his spirit, rescuing transformative spirits. So we're told in the second half of verse 39, he went away proclaiming in the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He went away proclaiming in the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And there are a few details I want to point out to you in that. First, it's the whole city. In Mark's uh, 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 account of this, Mark chapter 5, it uh, includes the detail of the Decapolis. That's the region. That's the place he went. Literally translated, that means ten cities. He's going back to ten cities. And this man, as he proclaimed what Jesus had done, had an impact on a whole region, on a whole area, because he was faithful to proclaim. He, he understood that the compassionate authority of Jesus was not just for him, but it was a message for many other people. The other detail that I want you to know is that this territory, this place, was Gentile territory. Most of Jesus' ministry up to this point had taken place within Israel, Jewish territory. This takes place in Gentile territory. Why is that important? Because it's a signal from Luke that Christ's Compassionate authority is for all people. It's for everyone. It's not just for those who show up at church. Those within the walls of the sanctuary, we are to proclaim it to everyone. And Jesus understood that this particular man, his particular story, would have a particular effect 
with those people. And so I want you to think about your life, your opportunity. Who are the particular people that you could proclaim the compassionate authority of Jesus to in ways that I never could? Who could you uh, talk to about what God has done? What people who would never listen to a pastor or a preacher, but they might listen to you. If you look them in the eye and ask them, what's your name? Tell me about your torment. And let me tell you about the encounter I had with Jesus. The other thing I love about this story, and and some of you have heard me say this before, but I'll always say it. I want you to notice how simple evangelism is. Because we dress it up, we overcomplicate it, we think, well, I'm not equipped. What does Jesus say? Go and tell other people how much God has done. Can you do that? It's all you have to do. You don't have to beat people over the heads. You don't have to twist their arms. You don't have to defend uh, the, the faith through apologetics. All you have to do is tell them what God has done in your life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was headed down a really bad path, but Jesus met me. I was broken and afraid, but Jesus brought me back. Here's my other fear, is that the reason you and I don't do this, this simple proclamation of how much Jesus has done, how much God has done, is quite frankly, we haven't experienced it. Because if, if we don't believe that God has, hasn't, if we believe God hasn't done anything special in our lives, or if it happened so long ago that we barely can remember it, we're not going to talk about it. God has done a lot for me this week. Jesus has forgiven my sin today. The Holy Spirit has led me to repent today. Let's talk about that. That is extraordinary rescue. That is compassionate authority. That is the work that Jesus does when we encounter him for who he really is. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, I pray for myself and my friends here that the truth of an encounter with the real Jesus would move us and that it would result in transformed hearts and lives and that it would result in a proclamation far and wide, of just how much you have done, just how much you are doing, just how much you will continue to do until the end of the age. Father, as we consider 
this man filled with demons and Jesus' love for him, may we also consider ourselves and your deep, deep love for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.